Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Friday, March 6th, 2020. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm the senior writer at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And writer Chris Evangelista. Hello, folks. All right, guys, it's Friday. Let's just jump right into the news today. Uh, last night, there was a junket screening for A Quiet Place Part 2, the new film from John Krasinski, and it sounds like the movie is really great. We have uh, an early Buzz article that HT put together earlier this morning. Uh, I'm not going to read every reaction or anything like that. You can go and check out the full article, but the general consensus from the people who were at the screening were that was basically that this is a, a great sequel that expands on the world from the first one, and um, it... it uh, let's see, I'll, I'll read uh, just a couple of the reactions here, uh, just to give people a little bit of a taste. Uh, the Illuminerdy, I don't know that person, but they said, you need to experience A Quiet Place too. it's one of the most tense experiences I've had in a theater, the whole cast is amazing, you feel emotion on, you feel every emotion on screen, John Krasinski's directing is brilliant, um, Chris Killen says the use of sound in A Quiet Place Part 2 is still so vital and what easily could have been a retread. Krasinski finds unbelievably creative ways to keep the movie's niche from getting stale. The entire cast is fantastic and it's riveting from top to bottom. So a, a lot of the reactions are basically in that vein. So uh, I'm very excited about this. I, I um, had, I don't know, I was a little bit worried when Krasinski came back. Uh, it, it seemed like one of those things where... You know, it was a, the first movie's a massive uh, success, and Paramount could have been like, "All right, we just want more of the same." But it seems like um, it, it's uh, it's a worthy follow-up. So uh, that movie comes out when sometime very soon, uh, March twentieth. So uh, I look forward to seeing it myself. Um, let's dive into our next story. Brad, tell us about Taika Waititi's next project. Well, Taika Waititi is about to get animated. And he's going to do it with a classic children's book that pretty much everyone is probably familiar with, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Uh, this comes as part of Netflix's recent initiative to uh, use the library of Roald Dahl to create uh, event animated series. And this is the first one out of the gate. Uh, what's interesting is there's going to be two animated series. Um, one of them is said to be uh, an, anim um, an animated series based on the world and characters of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. 
Uh, it's not clear what that means, whether this will be like a new adaptation of the original book or if it'll be some kind of uh, more refreshing adaptation that takes liberties with the story and kind of plays with the formula and doesn't give us the same story that we've seen a couple times before. Uh, but either way, you know, just the involvement of Taika Waititi for a project like this is reason enough to get excited. Uh, but the second one sounds like it could be a little more interesting and probably original uh, simply because Netflix describes it as a wholly original take on Oompa Loompas that builds out their world. Uh, now, we've di- dived a little bit into the origin of Oompa Loompas as far as how they came into contact with Willy Wonka, thanks to Tim Burton's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. But we haven't seen much of their story otherwise played out uh, on the big screen. And if this focuses on the Oompa Loompas, I imagine something, maybe something akin to Minions, but hopefully a little more clever, a little less slapsticky in the hands of Taika Waititi. And honestly, I could actually see this series becoming something where Taika uses it to tap into some kind of uh, story that is representative of like indigenous culture, uh, and maybe even using it to uh, give roles to more uh, indigenous actors and even really just anybody of any race or background, since the Oompa Loompas really don't need to be defined, you know, by a single race or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And since, so, you know, since these are characters that come from, you know, uh, Loompa land, at least as far as we're concerned, uh, it would be, you know, it's not hard to see how he could use that to create a story about people that would um, kind of have links to indigenous culture. I'm kind of of two minds about this. I feel like he's a really, really good fit for this, um, I guess, this world, this sort of zany uh, world of Willy Wonka and all of that. Um, But at the same time, I kind of just want to see more movies from him. Uh, Chris, what do you make of this news? Yeah, I... (sighs) I like Taika Waititi. I'm just not into... I feel like we don't need anything else about Charlie and the Chocolate Factory at this point, or Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I feel like that story has been told enough. I don't really care (laughs) that much, but that's me. I'm sure other people care, so that's fine. Not everything has to be for me. (laughs) Um, Brad, I know you're a big fan of of Taika as a, a filmmaker all around. Do you think he's a good fit for this? And I guess a separate question, I think I saw somebody pose the question on Twitter, like, do you think that he might step into the role of Willy Wonka? I feel like that might be fun. Yeah, I mean, the... The humor in uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory has always had a little bit of a darker side to it. And Taika has proven that he can do, you know, some dark things with comedies, with like what we do in the shadows. Uh, You know, Jojo Rabbit is an anti-hate satire that brings laughs out of, you know, Nazis and, you know, uh, the Holocaust and that kind of thing. So having him play in a world like this, I think, is perfect, you know, because he can deal with the, the material that leans into satire while also delivering something that is likely, you know, family-friendly and still genuinely funny. All right. So let's jump into our next segment, which is uh, about The Last of Us, the very, very popular video game. Um, Chris, there's been talks of a Last of Us movie for a long time, but yesterday we got a pretty big announcement that doesn't have anything to do with the movie. What's going on with uh, the world of The Last of Us? Uh, yeah, so Craig Mazin, who did uh, the excellent HBO Chernobyl series, is now bringing The Last of Us to HBO as an HBO series with uh, Neil Druckmann, who wrote the video game, uh, also writing the show with uh, Mazin. So uh, that'll probably be good news for people who've been 
you know, hoping for some sort of adaptation of this. You know, the game is one of the best-selling games of all time. And uh, there's been attempts to make this into a movie since 2014. Um, Sam Raimi was going to produce it at one point. Uh, but, you know, the movie has just never gotten off the ground. But now um, HBO is stepping in and turning it into a series. I think there was some talk at one point about Maisie Williams maybe playing uh, one of the lead roles of Ellie, who's this teenage girl who may or may not be a cure for uh, a very, like a, a pandemic that swept the country and sort of created this post-apocalyptic world. Um, obviously, she is probably aged out of it at this point, um, so they're probably going to have to go with somebody a little bit younger. But, um, man, I'm very excited about this. Like, I, I have has anybody else played the game? I played this game and really fell in love with it. No, nobody. All right. Man. No, I've, uh, I have yet to play it. <laughs> yeah, I haven't played it. I've heard it's great, but yeah, yeah I haven't played it. Yeah, you guys got to jump on that bandwagon. It's really like um, a pretty amazing experience. It's, it's, it's like one of the most. Um, it, it's got like the sort of action adventure stuff that you want to, but it's like really, really like profoundly emotional in uh, ways that I've not really seen from a video game. Um, so man, yeah, an, an HBO series seems like kind of the perfect adaptation or the perfect um uh, way to adapt this series i i was excited about a movie version but um i think you know spreading things out and obviously in the the golden age of peak tv and all that that we're living in now i, I feel like um with somebody like mazen who has shown a, a surprising uh, turnaround in quality and at least in my opinion i'm i'm excited to see what he does here and it, it seems like rare that uh a creative behind one of the games would actually be involved um with like writing the screenplay for this it seems like a like a uh like a jk rowling kind of scenario where the person like uh i don't know imposes their will and like makes sure that hey i'm gonna have some you know if this show is going to be adapted i'm going to be behind it in some way so uh yeah as chris mentioned hopefully that will be uh, a good sign for those of us who have been um yeah, jonesing for a, a version of uh, The Last of Us to come out in some form or fashion. So um, let's move. Okay, earlier this week we talked a little bit about Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker and how the novelization has been revealing some pretty um, ludicrous uh, things about the, the movie that weren't actually really made clear in the movie themselves or in the movie uh, itself. Brad, there's one more of those that I feel like we probably should talk about here. So why don't you tell us about it? Do I, do I have to? <laughs> I would appreciate it. <laughs> okay. Well, it's uh, pretty stupid. Um, well, this continues the line of new revelations we've been getting about Palpatine and how he's back and things like that. Uh, we previously found out that Palpatine um, was indeed cloned. And we found out how he survived at the end of Return of the Jedi by creating the space in his mind where he could let his... Uh, spirit kind of resides so that he could leave his body and be put into another clone body. And now we've learned a little bit about how this um, process worked because apparently Ray's father is actually a failed Palpatine clone. So <laughs> I, I can cool, hear the dismay. Cool, I guess. <laughs> I can hear the dismay in your voice. Does it, um, does this novelization like, uh, reveal any specifics about how exactly this happened I, I mean i guess in the broad terms now at least it should be a, a relief to those of us who are worried about like who on on i was gonna say on earth but on any planet in a galaxy far far away would actually bone down with palpatine <laughs> but now i guess that that uh concern could be wiped off the board right 
Yeah, pretty much. And so, yeah, there's there's not really any details as to how this worked or anything like that, but it just mentions that one of the clones was a, a quote, useless, powerless failure who was, quote, not a not-quite-identical clone. Um, and that is the father who met Ray's mother, played by Jodie Comer, and, you know, uh, gave birth to Ray eventually. So, <laughs> oh, good! Man, I just, I don't understand how a novelization can be, like, putting out reveal after reveal that uh so long after the movie came out that really like <laughs> all right never mind. you know what let's just move on hopefully we'll just never talk about this ever again so, how about that i will say this one thing that's uh, kind of weird about this and makes it so that this doesn't really matter in the end is that um the novelizations aren't as far as i know aren't really considered canon because the author kind of has interpretations of certain things in the movie based on the information that he's given you know from the the script and whatnot because uh there were not uh novelizations of the original trilogy there were details that were included in return of the jedi that didn't make it in the movie that kind of changed things completely uh like um for example there's something about owen lars actually being obi-wan's brother and like weird details like that that are included in there that aren't considered canon. So this is, but, but if anything, it's still just frustrating that these details, you know, are put here if they don't matter. Huh? Well, I mean, I guess the return of the Jedi thing makes sense because the Lucasfilm story group wasn't a thing back then, but do these novelizations not fall under the story groups, um, uh, umbrella? Because I thought I was under the impression that everything that was released sort of went through them. Is that not the case? I mean, yeah, it's a good question. As far as I know, I, I don't think that these little details are probably taken into canon because I, I, just, I just don't know how you can include this stuff and then have it not be part of, you know, considered part of the movie. But, oof. huh, interesting. Uh, well, maybe uh, our own Peter Soretta will have some insight into this. Maybe we'll talk about this with him next week. Or, like I said, maybe we'll never talk about any of this ever again. So, um, okay, let's move on to uh, Jason Blum. And he has uh, maybe another Universal Monsters project potentially, possibly in the works. Chris, what's going on? Yeah, so uh, The Invisible Man, which came from Blumhouse and Universal, was a huge hit. And... Uh, now everyone's wondering, like, ah, will there be more Universal monster movie reboots in the future? And there are a few already lined up. There's uh, Renfield, which is a Dracula spinoff. There's um, The Invisible Woman. There's Paul Feig's uh, Dark Army. And Jason Blum, uh, during a recent interview, mentioned that he would really like to do uh, Frankenstein. And this isn't just him sort of, like, wishful thinking. He, he says in the quote that he's actually reached out to you know filmmakers who work with Blumhouse and sort of tasked them with trying to come up with a, a new way to do uh, Frankenstein. So, uh, you know, this isn't like, it's not officially happening, but it's definitely something he's considering doing more than just, you know, just talking about it. So there's that. So as a fan of the new Invisible Man, Chris, are you excited about the potential for a Frankenstein movie? Do you think that there's a, a chance that they could make it, I guess, as good? Yeah, I mean, you know, it all depends on who they, you know, they they put in charge of this. I mean, I feel like the reason the Invisible Man was so good is because it had Lee Wannold, you know, working on it. And it had Elizabeth Moss in it. You know, it had it had people who knew what they were doing, for lack of a better uh, phrase. So, you know, as long as he, Jason Blum puts the right talent 
with this project, assuming it happens, I think, you know, there's a lot, you know, you can do here. You know, not to say that they haven't done a Frankenstein adaptation a billion times already, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what was cool about The Invisible Man is that it took something everyone was familiar with and did something fresh with it. So I feel like that's the key here, too. Like, don't just do something we've seen a million times before. you got to find a new angle, and I think that's sort of what Jason Blum is looking for here. He's looking for these filmmakers to come up with a fresh interpretation of this material. Is there one particular member of the Universal Monsters horror stable that you um, maybe think would be more difficult than the rest to sort of find that new hook for? Or do you think that, you know, the, the chances are sort of equally possible across the board for all of them? I mean, honestly, I think that, you know, all of them have a lot of room for interpretation. Honestly, I would have said, like, the Invisible Man is the one that's, like, the most difficult to nail down, but they've already done that, so that's kind of out of the way. So I can't really... None that spring to mind that seem like, ah, maybe, like, (laughs) this really isn't considered part of Universal Monsters, but, like, sort of, like, the hunchback of Notre Dame. I think he probably couldn't modernize that, maybe, but Mm. maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Is uh, Oh, go ahead. Well... Wolfman's probably kind of difficult to do since they already did that remake and like there's not really much else you can do with it to modernize it with so many like werewolf stories already out there, right? I mean, yeah, but uh, you know, I, I guess they could also just try something completely different with it. I don't know. I mean, there's always the the Jack Nicholson movie Wolf, which is sort of like the Wolfman and very modern and very slow and very kind of boring so they could do that make a boring wolfman movie that's what i'm saying um is uh the creature from the black lagoon is that considered a universal yes. monster okay but i feel like they should that's the one they should wait for because like the shape of water kind of already beat them to the punch with right. that like yeah so they're you know Okay, uh, well, yeah, we'll have to keep an eye on that. Uh, in the meantime, let's talk about our last story of the day, which is uh, something that broke earlier this morning. Evidently, Josh Gad is teaming up with the creators of Once Upon a Time, uh, Edward Kitsis and Adam Horowitz, to uh, work on a Beauty and the Beast prequel series that tells the origins of Gaston and LeFou. Um, Josh Gad played LeFou in the 2017 uh, Disney live-action remake of Beauty and the Beast. Uh, Luke Evans, who played Gaston, is on board for this as well. This is going to be on Disney+. Plus. Um, Alan Menken, who did the music, I think he won an, he actually, I know he won an Oscar for Best Original Score for the 91 uh, animated version of Beauty and the Beast. He came back for the live action movie as well. He's going to be providing some music for this. Um, This whole thing actually is going to be like heavy on the music. It says that uh, it's going to be a six episode musical event. So, um, the report from The Hollywood Reporter says that the show will take place well before the events of the film and also expand the Beauty and the Beast universe. So I'm thinking that this probably means that it's going to at least partially involve the time that Gaston and LeFou spent fighting in the war in the, the live-action movie. It's pretty explicit that Gaston is like a war hero coming back to his small town in France after having won some battles on the battlefield and all that. I don't know what year that movie took place or what war he specifically fought in but uh, I guess that's what's going to happen here Um, I want to sort of take your temperature on this guys and see what you're feeling about this is this like is this just are we going to have to get used to this is this the new normal for Disney now like um, finding ways to uh, continually squeeze all of their popular IP in whatever 
whatever ways that they can. Um, Brad, what do you make of this story? Um, you know, I just, it's kind of exhausting, you know, because we already have to deal with the fact that they're doing live action or, you know, animated, uh, photorealistically animated remakes of all of Disney's old movies. And now they're trying to figure out how to expand, you know, those into franchises without doing direct sequels. And like, a lot of these characters really don't deserve their own movies or are interesting enough for their own movies. Like, I, I think that Gaston and LeFou are, uh, you know, interesting characters when they're so- on the side and, like, they're, you know, used for villainous or comedic purposes. But I don't need to follow a whole movie of them paneling around and being, you know, dickheads. So uh, I, just, I just don't know. how I. It's not impossible to take a character that's meant to be a villain and turn him into someone that you want to root for you know it's it's been done before but in the case of these disney characters i just find myself not really caring chris you must be excited for this right i am i can't wait for the, <laughs> the gaston and lefou movie i've been waiting so long for this when the original beauty and the beast came out in whatever 1990 whatever i was like i hope one day they first make a live action version of this and then a few years later they make a live action sequel, but it's not about the main characters. I really want that to happen. And my, sometimes dreams come true. Yep. Yep. You're absolutely right. So just to be clear, this is a show, not a movie. So uh, you have even more time with these characters, Chris. So oh, that's um, even better. Wow. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Disney. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much. Um, okay. So all jokes aside, I, I know that uh, the 2017 Beauty and the Beast made a lot of money made over a billion dollars at the box office worldwide. It also got a lot of headlines for the whole exclusively gay moment thing featuring LeFou. Um, you know, a big part of me just sort of rolls my eyes at the way that Disney handles its LGBTQ moments in its movies. Um, but a very small part of me that is trying to be optimistic about this whole thing uh, wonders if Josh Gad and the people involved with this show saw the sort of outcry of disappointment around that at the time. And because this show will not have the same amount of attention and financial pressure that comes with a huge, you know, multi-million dollar movie release, um, maybe there's a chance that Disney, uh, or Disney Plus in this case, will let Josh Gad actually explore that aspect of LeFou in a more meaningful way this time? Do you guys think that that's possible, or, or am I just being, you know, completely naive here? Oh, I don't <laughs> I, I don't know if it's naive, but I think it's maybe just a little too hopeful. <laughs> yeah, I guess I was just thinking, like, you know, if it's sort of, not buried, but at least hidden among a bunch of other stuff on Disney+, Plus, then maybe the chances are more likely that they would allow people a little bit more breathing room to explore stuff that doesn't necessarily align all the time with, like, the most militant Disney fans. You know, like, the, the people who would find that kind of thing offensive. Um, I know Disney is, is very, like they're always walking the line between family friendly or what they consider to be family friendly and trying to be progressive as a company. Um, I just feel like this is a good example or a, a good opportunity for them to sort of um, right a, a previous wrong um, and, and sort of let them go a little bit, let these creators go and, and do, do what they want. But uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see what happens here. Uh, I'm about as exhausted about all of this as you guys. I was just trying to find a silver lining here, but uh, 
how about this? The silver lining is it's Friday and this is the end of the episode. So <laughs> there's that. Uh, let's go around the circle really quickly and tell people where they can find more of our work online. Uh, Brad, let's start with you. Slashfilm.com is the site. Ethan underscore Anderton is the Twitter. Go Flix Yourself is the podcast. And that is that. Nice. Uh, Chris, how about you? Yes, yeah, Slashfilm.com. And I'm on Twitter at CEvangelista413. Oh, Chris, you just um, is your review for Westworld Season 3 posted already? Yes, that went up today. Okay, so I'll link to that in our other articles mentioned uh, section. Brad, do you have anything, any features or anything like that that you want to plug? Um, as of now, it looks like I'm still going to South by Southwest, so just stay tuned for coverage of that festival, which should be fun and risky for everyone's health. <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, I'll I'll link to um, an interview that I did with uh, the composer of Whiplash, um, Justin Hurwitz. Uh, there's a Whiplash soundtrack deluxe edition that's coming out soon, so I had a chance to talk with him about that movie and, and all that. So I'll link to that in the show notes. You can check that out too if you're interested. And you can find more about all of the stories that we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com and linked inside the show notes of this episode. SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps, and send your feedback, questions, comments, and concerns to us at peter at SlashFilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. And don't forget to rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thank you for listening, and we will talk to you on Monday.